Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. What have you, to take a look at page 14, the gospel reading just read a moment ago, beginning at verse 26, the words of our Lord, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, notice, he will bear witness about me. That is a masculine pronoun, a personal pronoun. That is to say, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not an it. That would require a neuter pronoun. And since we're very sensitive these days about pronouns and using the correct ones, all the more should we be concerned about the correct ones in Scripture. This speaks, Jesus speaks of the Spirit as a person not as an impersonal force like in Star Wars, but as a real person. Just as Christ is a person, the Spirit is a person. He, notice this, will bear witness about me. The Spirit does not bear witness to himself. The Spirit bears witness to Christ. That is to say, as Jesus is to the Father, the Spirit is to Jesus. Or, stated another way, as Jesus reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals Jesus. Verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged or condemned. So Roman numeral 1, page 15 of your bulletin. The Spirit reveals what is most wrong with the world. He will convict the world concerning sin. Well, what is it? Letter A, the coming of God to humanity in the person of Christ is history's most important event and it is life's ultimate reality. The coming of Jesus and Christ himself is the ultimate reality in life. Now Marxism, on the other hand, assumes that the ultimate reality, that the driving force in history is class struggle. Naturalism assumes that the ultimate reality is this physical universe. The material world is all there is. There's no supernatural reality whatsoever. That's naturalism. Hedonism assumes that the ultimate reality is pleasure. Christianity, on the other hand, assumes that the ultimate reality is Christ Jesus himself. St. Paul wrote about Jesus in this way, from Colossians 1, he is before all things. All things were made by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. In him all things are preserved. He made everything. He preserves everything. Reality, at its most fundamental level, is Jesus. God
God relates to the world only through Jesus. God provides for the needs of this world only through Jesus. Now, too often we assume that believing in Jesus is simply a matter of personal taste rather than what it really is, life's most fundamental matter or issue. Jesus teaches us that belief in him is really a life and death issue. He says in John 8, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you'll die in your sins. There is no more important question that you'll ever be confronted with than what think ye of Jesus? Whom do you say the Son of Man is? Your answer to that question reveals who you are, and it reveals whose you are. Letter B. Those refusing to believe in him condemn themselves and commit the greatest of all wrongs. The greatest of all wrongs. Many of us were once there. As a teen, I would sometimes mock the Christian faith. I would mock the Bible. And even if you have not done that, someday you might. You might. St. Paul wrote, Let every man who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Scripture says a lot about falling away. It can happen. The Spirit reveals to us that the greatest wrong in this world is not murder, it's not adultery, it's not child abuse, or any of the long list of things that are heinous and horrible, but rather the greatest wrong in this world is the refusal to believe God's witness about Jesus Christ, the witness he gives through the Spirit, the witness that he gives through the apostles, through the evidence that we have. He is a real historical reality. His resurrection is a historical fact. The greatest wrong in the world is to refuse to believe in what God has said and what God is doing in Christ. Roman numeral 2. The Spirit reveals what is most right in the world. Now notice, the Spirit will convict the world of sin. We've covered that, the refusal to believe in Christ. And the Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. Letter A. Jesus is going to the Father, that is, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, and his ascension to the right hand of God, that's his go all of that is his going to the Father, that accomplishes the world's redemption. The world's redemption, or we could say the world's salvation. His entire life's work is going back to the Father. He was born of the Virgin in order to live, die, rise, and return. And that is what is most right in the world. What is most right in the world is not anything you and I have done, but what Jesus has done and accomplished for the life of the world. Letter B. Therefore, quoting Paul again, just as one trespass, that's Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, his death, resurrection, his ascension, 
led to justification and life for all men. Now, if, if you are on death row and the governor pardons you and you refuse the pardon, your death is your own fault. In the same way, all of us were on death row because of Adam's sin. That's what Paul said. Because of Adam's sin, we're all on death row. But Jesus is the second Adam. He earns pardon for all of us by removing Adam's sin and our own. He fulfills all righteousness, and he is our righteousness now and when we stand before God on the last day. He is our righteousness. Roman numeral three. The Spirit reveals who really won. So, the Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Judgment because the ruler of this world is condemned. Letter A. The devil, our accuser, he's our accuser, he is cast out of heaven. Now, think for a moment of the devil as humanity's prosecuting attorney, okay? He not only brings charges against us, but many of his charges, if not most of his charges, are true. They are true. We are collectively guilty of Adam's sin, and each of us is individually guilty because of our own sin. And the worst part of it all is this. God is just. That's the worst news you can ever hear if you're a sinner. God is just. And because God is just, he must do what is right. He must pronounce the verdict of guilty over those who really are guilty, and he must execute the sentence of death unless he can find another human. Since we're talking about humanity's sin, he must find another human who will be a substitute for the rest of humanity. That would be just and it would be merciful. And so the father enters into a covenant with his only son, and the son agrees to become one of us, to become part of humanity, and to die in the place of humanity. And Revelation chapter 12, we looked at this during the Advent season, Revelation 12 describes how when Jesus ascends to heaven, the devil, our accuser, is cast out of heaven. The one who used to bring charges against us can no longer stand in the presence of God and do that. Why? Because our defense attorney is now there before the bar of justice. The one who bears the wounds that are due us shows those wounds to the Father. The mission is accomplished. We are absolved of all guilt, of all sin. And the devil can no longer stand there and do what he once did. And that means, letter B, all humanity now is victorious in the person of Jesus. All humanity has the victory. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is God's own law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the victory is given to us. We don't earn it. Christ earns it, but it's ours. It's flat out given to you and to me. 
Roman numeral four. The spirit of truth will confront the world through us. Everything we've talked about, the world will be confronted with by the power of the spirit, and he's working through us. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but I will tell you this anyway. We live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. This culture is increasingly hostile to what we believe about human sexuality, about marriage, about gender, about abortion. The list goes on. This culture does not affirm us. Rather, this culture wishes to cancel us to ostracize us. Christians in our country have been denied employment. Christians in our country have been driven out of business solely because of their sincerely held religious beliefs. It happens. If your ears to the ground, if you follow this stuff, you know what happens. On college campuses, Christian student organizations have been driven off campus or they've been forced to disband. Why? Because they would not compromise their beliefs. And Jesus said, he warned us, he said, they will do these things to you because they know neither the Father nor do they know me. See, that is the problem. The problem is not, first and foremost, that somebody out there has redefined marriage. That's a symptom of the problem. The problem is they don't know the Father they don't know Jesus. That's the problem. And how will they know about God's love for them in Jesus unless we tell them? We bear witness with the work of the Spirit to them. Faith comes by hearing the message. So how can I be a witness? Well, I like to start in passages like 1 Samuel 10, where the prophet Samuel anoints Saul as king over Israel. And Samuel said to Saul, and I quote, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy. That means you will speak about the Lord to others. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy, and you will become a different man. Wherever the Spirit is active, people speak. Not about just anything, but about Christ and what Christ has done for them. In our reading from Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fills the disciples, and what do they do? They all begin to speak in different languages that are understood by many of the people there, but they bear witness to the mighty deeds of God. They speak about Jesus, you see. Even Peter speaks about Jesus. The same Peter who revealed his cowardice 50 days earlier, denying that he even knew Christ. He did it three times. It's final. Now Peter speaks boldly in the name of the Lord because he's become a different man. My friends, where the Spirit of the Lord is active, people speak. They speak because they can't help it. No one guilts them into speaking. 
They speak because the words just come out. They can't be contained. For example, have you ever been maybe seated somewhere or standing in line and, and you hear a conversation between other people and you, you can't help what they hear. You're, you're not trying to, you know, evade, uh, invade their privacy, but, but you can't help but to overhear what's being said. And you feel as if you could contribute to what they're talking about, but you don't want to be forward, and so you just sort of hold back. But as you listen, you think, no, I, I'm going to have to say something and share what I know for, for their sake. And you speak up, and, and, and you do that. Have you ever been in that situation where you wanted to say something, and you finally did, because you wanted to help the situation? Well, my friends, it's like that with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples are hauled before the Jerusalem authorities, and they're commanded, you are to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And how do the disciples respond? They say, we can't help but to speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't help ourselves. We have to speak. It's our faith, you see. My friends, we are the heirs of those men and women who could not help but to speak about Jesus, and we can no more remain silent than they. The world we live in is lost. It is increasingly confused so much so that we can no longer hold our tongue. We must speak the truth, the truth about God's love for all people in Christ Jesus. This is the message we bring. The problem is they don't know Jesus. They need to know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.